Hi and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to all things Port Adelaide Football Club. I'm your host for this evening, Macca19, and with me is regular co-host, Fishing Rico4. How you going, mate? Yeah, good, Macca. What about you? Yeah, good, buddy. Good. Um, we've also got a first-timer on the podcast tonight. Um, between us, we've, we're really closing in on 100,000 posts. Um, he's obviously a long-time poster on our board. He's the artist formerly known as GoPower. Of course, I'm talking about Schultzenfest. Hey, Marco, how you going? Good, mate, good. Good to have you on board. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be here. Nice, nice. So, as we do with all uh, noobs on the podcast, we thought we'd get Schultz's uh, Port Adelaide history. So, how did you come to support the club? Well, I haven't been around as long as most of you guys. I was actually only four when Port Adelaide came into the AFL. But my family's got a long Port Adelaide history behind it. My Grandfather had a lot to do with the clubs through his business. My great, two of my great uncles actually played a few games for the Magpies back in the late 60s, early 70s, that sort of area. So my family's had Port Adelaide in it for a long time. Beautiful. And eventually, it was about 2000, I think, I started going to football regularly with my mother and my uncle, who have both been sort of indoctrinated into the Port Adelaide way since they were kids. And then they did the same to me when I was a kid, and I'm glad they did. Beautiful. Now, I thought um, I'd ask you a couple of questions just to, to, to go on uh, a little bit further into your history. Uh, what was the first game you can remember going to? I think the first game I went to was 1998. We were playing Fremantle, and I just hated it, and I whinged and whinged and whinged until my parents took me home at half-time. <laughs> so, yeah, luckily I got a bit more into it in later years. But I didn't love my first game, apparently. I think Fremantle have that effect on a lot of people, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, did the same thing last time we played Fremantle, probably. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite game? Favourite game? Well, Grand Final 2004, I yep. Can't go past that. True, very true. And uh, favourite player, past or present? I think I'm going to have to go with Tom Jonas. I've never really been into the defenders so much before, but this guy just does. The job week in, week out, every week, never fails to beat his opponent. And it's just so handy to have a guy like that in the team. And he attacks the ball so ferociously and the players so ferociously. And it's great to watch. Yeah, he's had a fantastic season. Um, certainly surprised me a little bit. I, I, when we first got him, I wasn't too sure what he'd be able to do. But you know, he, he's such a unique player. He can play as a tall defender. He can play as a midfield tagger. It's not really many people that can do that in the AFL, so I'm, I know I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do in the next few years. Okay, so obviously trade week has now begun, or trade month I should say. Um, we've already made one trade, which is locked in and loaded. Um, obviously Matthew White um, from Richmond is coming to us as a free agent. Um, quite a pacey midfielder. Um, he's known for his long kicking. He can also tag some quick players, which we had some issue with this year. Um, me and Rick spoke about this a little bit last week. Um, Schultzy, what do you think about this trade? Well, this time last year, I would have hated it. But Matt White, in the Richmond games I've watched this year, has just improved out of sight. He's kicking goals from pockets. He's kicking goals from 55 metres out. 
he's never really done that sort of thing before. So if he can bring that form to Port Adelaide, then I think it's a very good signing. Very interesting. Um, you know, it's we seem to be really addressing a need for a bit of speed, don't we? There's, um, and Matt White's uh, going to provide that. And I, I must admit, I, I don't know an excessive amount about him, but I've obviously done a fair bit of reading over the last two weeks, especially on our board, and uh, I'm interested to see where he's going to fit in. And I know people have been aggrieved about him being offered uh, three years, but I guess that's part of the parcel, isn't it, boys? With um, trying to get free agents, you, you have to make them an offer, which is more attractive than what they're, they're getting at the other clubs, and sometimes that just is the term of the contract, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I personally don't have an issue with three years. I think that's a pretty standard contract offer um, these days. Um, it's not like we're locking him in until he's 33 or anything like that. Um, I think he's got a lot to give. Um, obviously, everyone knows my thoughts. I really didn't like him at all um, up until probably it looked like we were going to get him. Um, and then I thought about it a little bit more and thought, well, you know, he's a, a really quick player. We really lack a lot of pace. He can kick goals. Um, his stats um, when he plays a full game are actually quite reasonable. Um, the fact that he plays as a sub quite often um, really affect his his, uh, his raw statistics a little bit. Um, but when he plays a full game, he's averaging around about 17 touches and a goal a game, which you know for a, a second-string midfielder is pretty good. I think having him on a three-year contract, people can complain about that because he's only really had one good year. But the thing about contract length, is it's sort of uh, you're taking a calculated risk. Say, if we signed up Brendan Archie, for example, to a 12-year contract tomorrow, obviously everyone would be shocked. But <laughs> if he turned out to be a 200-game player, then nobody would be complaining. So if Matt White can keep up the form that he's shown this year, then there's nothing wrong at all with giving a three-year contract. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Angus Mumphreys was another one, wasn't he? You know, I was a bit reluctant with the four-year contract and you know this year he's just been fantastic and I'm not even uh, worrying about seeing four years out of Angus now so hopefully Matthew uh, delivers something very similar. Well it's quite possible that he will Um, I think it's pretty clear that we're getting him so that he can play in the first team Um, I think he'll be an absolute lock for round one and really looking forward to see what he can bring to the side. So we might move on and uh, talk about another pickup that we got this week. our first Irish player, his name's Daniel Flynn. Um, he's signed to the club on a two-year international contract. Um, he's a 20-year-old. He's in the high 180-centimetre range. Um, his testing at the draft combine was absolutely elite. Um, 2.83 seconds for the 20-metre sprint is just about as fast as you can get. Um, he was second in the agility test and fourth in the repeat sprint test as well. Um, Schultze, how do you see him fitting in? Well, obviously, as an Irish recruit, it'll take a couple of years, but I think it's a good calculated risk that we've taken, considering that he's a Category B rookie, I think they're called, so he doesn't even take up a rookie list spot, let alone a main list spot. Yep. And if with all of his, um, his kicking ability that he showed at the draft combine, along with his incredible athletic gift, there's every chance he could be sort of the next Pierre family or the next Ty Canelli. And if we get a player like that free, that's obviously an amazing coup for the club. I'm very excited. I am very excited. I, uh, I'm the same as uh, Schultze. I think you know his draft results are one thing, but um, bringing that uh, that Irish uh, Gaelic background and how some of those boys are really uh, uh, taken to the AFL game, uh, I'm very interested to see how he goes. I'm very optimistic 
especially with his draft combine results, I think he's going to. Uh, I'm very confident he's going to put the put the runs on the board. I know the the small warriors uh, already called dibs on him and put the touch of death on him, so that's a bit of a worry. But uh, I'm willing to look past that and uh, and think uh, he's going to provide uh, uh, something exciting for us in the in the future. And uh, again goes back to another common denominator doesn't it in speed he's going to have raw speed and with Matt White more speed and Pittard's another one with speed um, there, there's going to be a lot of uh, fast running waves from the half back line I think. Obviously there's low expectations on what he can do in the first year or maybe two but you know if he can really come on and prove that he can play football um, at a decent level you know he's every chance to get games later on this year and and certainly a, a chance to lock himself into the side next year. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll really look on to see how he goes with the Magpies next year um, with a, a very high interest level. Um, another player that we're still going after is Jared Polek, or Jared Trollek, as he's now known as, um, <laughs> as he seems to love uh, playing the Crows and the Power against each other. Um, Rick, how do you see this uh, playing out, mate? I could see it playing out that... Nothing's going to happen until probably, what, an hour before uh, trade week uh, is about to finish. And to be honest, I'm, I'm quite over it. Uh, you know, obviously, on trade radio today, they were talking about the Crows have got um, players to offer up. And obviously, we're offering pick 30. And uh, and Brisbane's arguing that that's not enough for, for Pollock. And uh, I just, you know, it's just going to be one of these... Uh, you know, rumours and innuendo and merry-go-round and until right to the end. And, you know, I still think pick 30 is probably about fair for him with what he's shown over the last three years and, and his injury concerned. So it's a high... It, for us, I think it's a high-risk proposition to be offering up pick 13, and I don't like it. And if the Crows get him, well, so be it. I know a lot of people are sort of indifferent to Jared Pollock based on his first three years at Brisbane, but personally, I really, really, really want him at Port Adelaide from the first game... I saw Jared Polek play. I think he got the ball about 60 metres out. They were playing Essendon, and Brisbane were getting absolutely hammered. It was like halfway through the second quarter, and they had to kick the goal or something like that. Polek gets the ball 60 metres out, does a bit of a David Roden shimmy around Nathan Lovett Murray, runs into the forward line and kicks a very classy goal. So he can stand up when the players around him are standing up, and that's a, especially with the trouble we've had with long momentum sort of patches from the opposition which we haven't been able to stop. That's a handy thing for us. Personally, I wouldn't give up pick 13 for him as a straight swap, but if Brisbane can get pick 18 or 19 from Hawthorne for Billy Longer, a young Ruckman, which is supposedly going to be a deal that gets done pretty soon, I would, if it came down to it, pick 13 or 14 or whatever we could end up with after the Dale Thomas compensation swapped for pick 18 and Paulek. I think that would be a deal worth doing for the club. Yeah, got to agree with that as well. I think it's pretty clear that pick 30 isn't going to get it done. Um, whether the Crows can come up with something better than that, I guess we'll wait and find out whether they need to trade players to go up in the draft a little bit more and offer Brisbane a higher pick. Um, we'll wait and see. Um, but if pick 30 is not going to get it done, we've either got to come up with a, a player to send to Brisbane as well, which, I mean, a lot of the people on the board seem pretty reluctant to do, outside of Brent Renouf, who probably has zero trade value at all, um, and Daniel Stewart, I guess. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm certainly into this uh, pick 13 for uh, you know, and us getting pick 18 or 19 back. Um, I'm not sure losing five spots in the draft is going to be that detrimental to our, our sort of draft year this year. Um, it might mean we might miss out on a player that we had our eye on, but I mean, if we get Polek as well um, and add another first round pick as well, um, I think that's a big win. As I said on the board, the, you have to look at the big picture, and the big picture is that if we're giving away 13 and getting away, giving getting 18 and Polek back, then it sort of means that we're getting 18 and Polek as opposed to 13 and pick 70 or so in the fourth round because we're getting two for the price of one, and we don't have to use a late-round pick on a completely speculative player, which we would have to use otherwise if we don't fill that list spot. Rick? There's a strong argument for it, I um, and I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't be um, crying in my uh, cereal if uh, if that was to come into place. I just I just think he's for all his upside, he's still a high risk. I mean, what six games in three years? If he if he can't get his body right, well, um, you know. But I guess only time will tell what what we give up if that if it does happen like that, and what we miss out on, and or if we miss out on anything. Yep, that's fair enough. Uh, we might move on and start speaking about um, a key position forward. It's something that the club has recognised that we need. Um, I'm not sure there's too many people that would disagree with that. Um, whether there's anybody around worth getting is another question. Um, Schultze, who do you see as a key forward target that we could possibly get? The number one realistic target that I'd love us to get is Scott Gumbleton from Essendon. And if we could somehow get Pollett with the... 13 or 18 deal that was mentioned before, then we could possibly give up a second round pick for Gumbleton if we can convince him to come here. I think Gumbleton would sort of give us the lead up centre half forward, which we haven't really had since Treadray retired. It would allow Schultz to stay closer to home and lead up and have shots from 40 metres out, which is what he did best last year in what was, that was his best year for the club. And I think Gumbleton's just sort of one of those diamond in the rough players who for a number of reasons hasn't been given the opportunities that his talent deserves much like Schultz at Richmond and he's the sort of guy who could have a similar improvement if we sort of stuck him in our best 22 and played him every week I just can't see us um, getting him to be honest he's one of those people that's um, uh, spoken about every year and and it doesn't re- nothing really happens and uh, I guess I'm a little bit different where I seem to be going the other way with how we've been talking on the board, we're looking at maybe within our list for next year. I'm, I'm confident that um, uh, Butcher should be able to become a little bit more reliable, if, especially if he can get a full pre-season. But I'd also, I'd also like to look at um, Jared Redden uh, playing up forward more often. You know, I think he showed a bit of promise, and uh, I think it wouldn't hurt, especially if it's sort of a stopgap issue this year. He's still young and developing. And uh, and the other one that was mentioned was um, Tom Cleary. I, I think he'd be worth a shot with his endurance base uh, to run that sort of centre-half forward role if we needed to roll the dice with somebody and uh, and see what goes, uh, goes there. And I guess the other rumour that's been floating about is uh, if we were to look at somebody, I guess is... Um, the Rutman from St Kilda Stanley, which uh, again has got another bit of burst of speed on him, and uh, I guess maybe he might be able to take a forward role too if uh, if we needed to, uh, if that's someone we had to trade for, and it probably wouldn't cost us as much. But they're probably the options that I'd prefer to to go down and have a look at. 
Yeah, I mean, the good thing about Reece Stanley is he's so flexible. He can play pretty much anywhere. He can play as a key forward. He's played as a key defender mostly this year. He can also go into the ruck as well. Um, I guess the bad thing about him is he's basically a glorified Daniel Stewart, I guess. Um, that he's got all these sort of physical traits and all these sort of interesting things that he can do with his game. But he very rarely has been able to put it together um, in the same game so far. I wouldn't even call him a glorified Daniel Stewart. He's just Daniel Stewart in a different jumper, I think. <laughs> I'm not a, not a, I don't see what he gives us that we don't already have from Jared Redden. I suppose if we get him cheap and we can sort of move on Renouf, it'd be an upgrade on Renouf. But I can't see him being best 22 if we've got Lobie and Redden Schultz all playing. Yeah, I guess he's just uh, he'd be coming in as another option with a bit of experience and. I guess the club hopes that now that he's had three or four years in the system, he's played you know twenty to thirty games. He can maybe turn into that sort of regular, consistent footballer. Um, but I guess he has sort of threatened to do um, a little bit at St Kilda. Um, I'm still not sure about that one though. Yeah, he's not really high on my list of um, on uh, on recruits. Um, someone that I'm pretty interested in is Jackson Payne from Collingwood. He's uh, not really had much of a go there. Um, he kicks a, a shitload of goals in the uh, in the VFL. Um, Schultzy, do you have an opinion on him? I haven't seen much of Jackson Payne, but I think the talk is that he's going to be heading to Brisbane for Patrick Kynesis, so okay. they might get their hands on him before we have a chance to. But I'd be open to it if we could, um, if we could convince him to come to Port Adelaide. It's always good to have another key forward option on the list. Yeah, pass on that one. I don't. To be honest, I, I don't even know much about him. Uh, but um, wasn't there a forward drafted a couple of years ago um, by the name of O'Brien? Tim O'Brien for Hawthorne. Yeah, was he a forward or a defender? No, he was a centre half forward. Um, recruited from South Australia. I'm not sure. Um, I think he had a pretty decent year for his first year um, at Hawthorne. Um, didn't get a game though, but I think that's that he's someone that they're looking to um, to replace Buddy um, in a long term oh, okay. sort of long term manner. So I'm not sure we'd be able to get our hands on him without um, really paying through the nose to get him. Because I remember, I reckon you were a bit of a fan of his um, when he was I drafted. I think he was really really signed as well. So Hawthorne obviously don't have any plans to trade him, especially with Buddy gone now. No, that's right. Mm. I guess the other one that's sort of been half mentioned is Levi Casbolt. Which again, I'm not really overly keen on, to be honest. With you. It's another Stanley trade, I guess, isn't it? Try to play Cameron Hitchcock on Stoop. <laughs> that's a fair. That's a fair call. That. I think we're all sounding a bit depressed with this forward conversation. It must be a bit deflating for us. There's not much out there. No, there's not really much out there. I mean, you could even look to maybe Lewis Johnston, but. I mean, given his end to the year, I'm not sure the Crows would be all that keen to trade him either, to be honest with you. It's not really a whole lot out there. He's no. another one who's just been signed, Lewis Johnson. Yeah. I still like the idea of offering uh, Jeremy Cameron a $1.5 million a year payday or something for five or six years and seeing if we could have snagged it. I reckon that would have been worth a shot. Could have been worth a shot, but uh, not sure GWS still would have taken that, to be honest. Do the buddy deal. Do the buddy deal. Yeah. Well, he'd be worth nine years, I guess, but... He would be. All 
Alright, we might move on from that um, and move on to our player reviews. Um, we've got another 9 or 10 players to, to review this week. Uh, first one off the off the rank is Kane Corns. Um, he had another fantastic season this year. Um, there was a little bit of a discrepancy between the big footy votes and the Port Adelaide votes. Um, the Power had him third in their best and fairest. We had him eighth. Um, Schultze, how did you see Cornsy's year this year? I'll put my hand up and say that I've written him off at the end of 2011, but he's certainly come along. He's back to his sort of all-Australian best this year, I think. So his disposal, I think, this year has been better than it ever has been. It's been so much more attacking and creative rather than just kicking it 20 metres to whoever's closest to him. He's now looking for the best option and not the easiest option, and it's certainly improved our side a lot. For somebody who gets the ball as much as Kane, you want him to be using the ball very well, and if he is using the ball very well, it makes us a much better side, and that's what he was doing for probably 90% of the games he played this year. Yep, he finished uh, first in disposals, second in tackles, and also in rebound 50s for the club. Um, Rick, what did you see as his best games for the year? Well, I thought his uh, first final, he was just instrumental. I thought his possession count was um, uh, was just amazing, and um, and then uh, um, you know, and he, his influence overall, and then uh, and then just his uh, his overall consistency during the year. Uh, you know, he just stacked it up again. And I was with, with Schultz there. I thought um, I, I'd written him off too. I thought, you know, I guess with Primus's treatment and everything else that, uh, you know, he'd probably lost it. And I thought he did start to look like he may have been losing a, a yard of pace, which is completely understandable. And uh, and I think his, you know, his worst game, which was, you know, being very critical, was probably that the second final. Uh, he had a shocker, but he wasn't alone. But overall, you know, hats off to him. 630 disposals once again, 27.4 average. Um, you know, he just keeps racking up the ball, and and again, as as it was just pointed out, you know, he he used the ball pretty in damaging ways this year, which uh, which is good. So if opposition teams want to let him roam free, uh, you know, at least he's hurting us or hurting them on the other other side. Yeah, look, I thought he had a number of great games this year. Obviously, his final against Collingwood was fantastic. That was, I think, by far his best game for the year. Um, but his first half of the season was fantastic. Um, in that winning run that we had to start the season, he was arguably just about our best player. I mean, he was fantastic against Melbourne in Round 1. He was very consistent against uh, GWS and Adelaide in Rounds 2 and 3. Um, again, he was nearly best on ground against Gold Coast in Round 4, and he had a ripper against West Coast in Round 5 as well. Um, and he had a brilliant game. Actually, probably his best game was against Sydney in round 13, in my opinion, where he really shut Hanbury out of the game. And Hanbury was in absolute smoking form at that point of the season. And uh, he had just about his worst game for the year. Right, next player on the list is Brad Ebert. Um, his second year at the club. Um, I think he had a better year than last year. Um, he was super, super consistent all year. He had a great start to the year. His middle part against Sydney, Collingwood and Essendon was fantastic. That's where he really hit his best form. And again, his finish to the season um, was electric. I mean, in the prison bars against Carlton in, in round 23, he had 23 touches and four goals. It was good to see him amongst the goals again that week. Um, and his final against Collingwood was uh, was electric as well. He ended up the season uh, first in tackles, third in disposals, inside 50s and clearances, and fifth in contested possessions. Uh, Rick, how did you see his hit? 
yeah, I'm a big fan of Brad. I'm glad that he came over. I was really bullish on him uh, coming back, and you know, I just uh, ET brought it up earlier in the uh, when we started the uh, podcast, and he was talking about how he just loves watching uh, Brad Ebert just run the lines and just and gut run, and yeah, he's uh, he's just such a a solid contributor to uh, uh, to our midfield. And uh, the other the other point is that I remember when we were talking about him being uh, recruited by us a couple of years ago from West Coast, everyone was very uh, questioning on his uh, disposal. And, uh, you know, I can't really question his disposal at all. I think uh, he's been a fantastic pickup and he, he loves the club and he's a, he's a great leader and you can see that he's really driving our boys forward. I think at times he can overthink his disposal a little bit. There's certainly times where he does make a few mistakes in a row, uh, but he tends to clean that up and, and really finish strongly in his games. Um, Schultzy, what do you reckon, mate? I think Brad, as opposed to last year, had a bit of a slower start to this year. He was playing off the back flank when Pittard went out, and Broadbent was having a bit of a slow start in the wing, and then they swapped them around, and both of them really improved a lot from that point on. I think... Brad needs to play in midfield. The halfback line role didn't really suit him, but the midfield, he can just run and run and run, pick up heaps of the ball, kick goals, all the things he adds to our side. He can do better from the midfield than he can from halfback, and I hope he stays there next year because his second half of the year was very good. Yeah, agree with that. I think the other thing that I'd like to mention is probably his leadership. Um, I think with Boak and Ebert as our captain and vice-captain, we're really set for the future for the next sort of five or six years um, with a fantastic sort of leadership group there. I think Ebert's really taken that um, on board. Um, and you could tell, you know, in games um, that really mattered for the club just how hard he was working all year. Um, so we'll leave him there and go to his, uh, his cousin, Brett Ebert, um, not a fantastic year for Brett. He only managed the three games for the year, um, two at SANFL level and one at SANFL reserves level. Um, he missed three months uh, to start the season with an adductor injury. Um, then he hurt his hip, and then he finished with a hamstring injury. Um, and, of course, he retired at the end of the year. Um, we've obviously spoken about him a fair bit on the podcast in previous weeks, so, Schultz, I'll throw to you, mate, and see uh, how you thought his career panned out. Well, out of the sort of maligned Thomas and Logan and Cassisi and Ebert and all of those on the board. Brett Ebert was the one I was most interested to see what he could do under Ken Hinckley and Darren Burgess. He could get a bit more fitness and maybe try a different role and use that great kick he's got to hit up our leading forwards rather than trying to be a leading forward himself. But unfortunately, injury meant that he never got that chance this year. But overall, you play 150 games for the Port Adelaide Football Club. You've obviously done something right. It was probably never my favourite player, but he did bring something different to the side that not a lot of clubs in the AFL have. I'm happy he was at the Port Adelaide Football Club for nearly the decade that he was here. Maybe a bit of missed opportunity that he never got a run in the midfield, but it's nice to have him here and good luck to him in whatever he does in the future. Good call, good call. Uh, next player on the list is Robbie Gray. Um, obviously coming back from a, a seriously bad knee injury last year. Um, it took him three weeks to get going. He played his first game um, against Gold Coast in round four, where he came on as the sub. Um, and from then on, um, he had a pretty good year, quite consistent. I guess the main issue with his uh, his season would have been his disposal, um, which...
which really struggled at some points in the year. Uh, but statistically, he had a fantastic season. I mean, he was first at the club in goal assists, fifth in clearances, um, and seventh in goals and inside 50s. Um, Rick, how do you see improving next year? Oh, look, I was very tough on Robbie um, this year. I mean, I understood that what he was coming back from was never going to be easy. And I think he's got the fitness base um, now. He worked through the year and didn't get injured, which is a godsend. Um, you know, that he with a full pre-season, um, we should see the best of Robbie and, and no excuses. I, I guess if, if I was to be very judgmental on him, I, I thought there was a lot of times this year where he tried to do a little bit too much and he got caught out for that. And But, you know, I guess with, upon reflection, he had a lot of great influential games and, and a, a few shockers in between. But, you know, I mean, that's going to happen, isn't it, when you're coming back from such a horrendous injury as he was. And uh, But uh, I think next year will be, you know, a big make-or-break year for, for Robbie Gray and he's got all the tools to, to prove that, he deserves his spot in the midfield and up uh, in the forward line. Yeah, look, a full pre-season under Burgess, I think, will do him wonders. Um, I think it will help him clear up his decision-making and, and some disposal errors as well. Um, again, there was a fairly big discrepancy between the best and fairest and the big footy votes here. We had him fifth um, in our best player awards. Uh, the club had him 12th. Um, Schultz, what's your opinion on Robbie, mate? I think the fact that Robbie Gray got through the season uninjured it's a tick, and anything else he provided is a bonus after that horrific knee injury he had last year. I think next year is going to be... He'll definitely be better than he was this year. Yeah, um, well, next year, I hope he spends a bit more time in the midfield. I think he's a bit of a clearance machine when he's been run through there. There's been lots of games where Robbie's been put into the midfield and he's just won three or four clearances in a row. So I hope he can sort of get the fitness base back to do a bit more of that next year. I think he's got a lot to offer in that role. Yeah, well, he was turning into that sort of full-time midfielder um, his last season before his knee injury. Um, and obviously, I think his knee injury sort of really halted that sort of development in the midfield for him. Um, he played sort of half and half this year, and I think he did pretty well. Um, but yeah, he's someone that I think, uh, along with Andrew Moore and, and a couple of other players, that I'm really, really most excited about seeing what they can do um, with another pre-season under Burgess. So we might move on to Hamish Hartlett. Um, he's someone who had a, a fair few sort of peaks and troughs um, in his year. His first his first sort of five or six weeks were absolutely stunning. Um, you know, he really turned into the player that we knew he, he could become and sort of threatened to be in his previous couple of years. Um, then he went through a really down patch for about three or four weeks there where he just couldn't get the ball. He was playing in a back pocket. Um, I think it was... A little bit of self-preservation on the on the part of Hinkley there. I think uh, there was a lot of rumours that he had a broken rib, or two broken ribs, in fact. Um, so, yeah, after that, he, he kind of worked his way back into the season, and, and he had some ripping games to end the year. Against Brisbane, he was fantastic. Against St Kilda as well. Um, I thought his first half against Adelaide was probably the best half of football we've ever seen from, from Hamish, and that sort of needs to be the standard of him going forward next year. I don't think Hammer's ever going to be the sort of player who's in the best week in, week out. But I think he's the sort of player who's going to win you two or three games off his own boot every year. With just the fact that he can... He, he lines up from 65 and he can about marking down for a goal, which is just such a rare thing in the AFL. Probably just him and 
Daniel Rich that you can say that about. And yeah, I think he's got a lot to offer to our club, especially considering that skills are probably still the one thing that we need to work on more than any other. And Hamish has got skill by the bucket load, and he's a very important guy for us to keep around and to keep him fit and to keep him banging in those long goals and hitting people on the lead. Yeah, I um, I guess I'm a little bit... I must be very critical. I must be a bit harsh on Hamish as well. I never realised, I'm just looking at the stats now, that he still ended up averaging uh, 20.1 possessions. And I remember the, the talk on the board was, you know, if if Hamish win, uh, gets 25 possessions in a game, more often than not, we're going to win a fair few uh, games because of what he can do when he gets the ball. So... Uh, I agree exactly with what you're saying, though, Mac. A great start, dropped off, and then came back. I thought that first quarter against um, Geelong in the final, he was amazing. And um, the highlight for me was the um, uh, for his season was that goal at Etihad Stadium where he kicked it from about 70 metres out. Oh, sorry, I think he might have hit the post, and then he kicked another one um, that went through. Just he's just got amazing talent, and you know, as long as we can keep him injury free and I think this year was a great success for that. I know he did his shoulder late, late in the piece, but overall, uh, he his body is starting to hold up now as he's maturing. And you know, if we can get his possession count up a little bit more, he's, you know, he's going to be such an influential player for us. It's going to be hard uh, for him, I guess. He's going to cop a tag and the moment he gets too much ball because of what he does with it. But you know, he's another one of these young boys which is just working their way into that mature age bracket that's uh, going to take our team to the next level. Yep, our uh, best and fairest results were fairly similar. We had him sixth, um, and the club had him ninth. And, of course, he was uh, fourth in inside 50s and clearances for the club. Look, I think um, Hammer's still got quite a bit of improvement with him, just in terms of um, having the ability to improve his consistency from game to game. Um, if he can stop those sort of seven to sort of 15 disposal games and really work them up to 15 to 20 disposals, um, then I think, you know, he really becomes you know, best and fairest winner sort of level um, and all Australian level because he's so dangerous with what he can do. Um, he doesn't really need to get all that much of the ball to be damaging, but um, you know that when he gets it 25 times, which he did seven times this year and, he, and we won all seven games, you know that that's going to be a great thing for the club. All right, moving on to the next player, and that's Campbell Heath. Um, he's someone that had a little bit of an up-and-down year. Um, it was his first year at the club. Um, he played the first uh, seven games um, with some mixed results. Um, I thought his uh, his first three or four games were fantastic, and he, he was one of those sort of recruits that really fit in straight away. He was playing in a back pocket. Um, he was able to man sort of smalls and tolls. I think overall sort of Tommy Jonas took over his position um, earlier in the year. Um, and probably played it a little bit better than what Heath was, um, with a bit more consistency. Um, so Heath found himself out of the side. His SNFL form was outstanding. Um, and, of course, he came back into the side for a couple of games later in the year. He played up forward against Gold Coast and kicked two goals. Um, Rick, how did you see his season, mate? Mate, I think what you've just said is spot on. It's... it's um, he's a hard one, because uh, his start was actually quite impressive, and... You're right. I don't think he did much to to lose his spot in the side, uh, but um, you know, it's he just got overtaken by um, 
uh, a few other players that were uh, fighting for that same role, and and then he struggled to uh, to get it back. But I thought he he showed us a lot. He was he was hard, and he he played that uh, that third man up and did it quite well. But as you pointed out, I think Tom Jonas was doing that role better, and he's just a little bit harder and a bit more discipline in the in the defence. But I think there's still a lot of upside to uh, to Campbell and. Um, he's going to. It's going to be a tough gig though for him next year as well, breaking into uh, into that defensive six if that's where his uh, mark mark's going to be. And you know Matthew White coming in if he's going to play half back a bit as well. That's going to be another one he's fighting with. And uh, you know, and, and then you got Tom Cleary that that might be coming up and who's been positioned in the in the half back lines as well. So uh, it's going to be tough for him. Yeah, I rate Campbell Heath. I. I always like the players who sort of play the third man up and they learn off their player and jump in front of a leading forward and help out their teammates. I think it's good for the team as a whole to have players like that in the side. I don't know if Campbell Heath will ever be sort of a consistently first 22 player. I think he might have a career a bit like Paul Stewart had for us where he plays a few games in the NFL every year, but he can come in and he can fill a role in the back line or in the forward line and do it. Sort of, he won't be a liability. He won't be a star, but he will be a handy player to have around. Yeah, that's it. I think he'll probably end up being one of those players that plays sort of eighty or ninety games in eight or nine years, and you know, sort of like a Tommy Logan, where he's he might have a few years where he is, um, you know, really consistent and plays every every game, and then sort of interspersed will be years where he doesn't really get much of a go, but you know that he'll always come in and do a pretty good job. Um, next player is Cameron Hitchcock, probably the unluckiest and also the luckiest player on our list, if not the <laughs> AFL. Um, seems to do his hamstring every time he runs onto an AFL oval. Um, his SNFL form is always pretty damn good. I mean, he always picks up plenty of the ball, kicks goals. He's, he's, you know, he provides a lot of run, a lot of creativity for Glenelg, um, but he just can't get a free run. Um, at AFL level. Um, I think it's pretty clear that most people think he's pretty damn lucky to be uh, offered another contract next year. Um, Shulsi, I might start with you with this one. I think I'm in the minority of this, but I do actually rate Cameron Hitchcock. I think he's sort of the best goal assist player we've got on the side. He's got an ability to pick players out of traffic and hit them on the chest and set up goals, but he's just got to get his body right because he can't play a player who every second game he's going to do a hamstring in the first quarter because it just hurts the rest of the side. It cuts out the rotations. It means you can't play a player like Ollie Wines or next year's Ollie Wines equivalent and the sub role to give him a rest because he's got to come out there in the first quarter because Cameron Hitchcock has to be subbed off. And I'm not 100% opposed to him giving, getting a second contract, but if he doesn't sort of playing a bit more football next year. I think it's going to be his last year on the list. I think you can see why the club rates him and wants to keep him around because he is quick, he is creative, he uses the ball well and he can kick goals. It's just a matter of him getting his body right. Rick, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Macker. I, um, I mean, we turned over a fair fair chunk of our list too. So, I mean, how many players do we need to get rid of? Uh, that's, a, that's the other point. But... Um, um, he is lucky to, to get a contract saying that because, you know, you know, at some stage, I mean, what's he, he's 
early mid twenties now, you got to be able to get your body prepared right on game day. And you know, if Jake Knee can come up and play most of the games and not get injured at, at a smaller build than Cam, Cam should be able to do the same too. I, I mean, one one gripe about Cam, and it's not Cam itself; it's the supporters. The amount of games I've been to where uh, Cam's playing and the ridicule he gets from uh, a lot of our own supporters uh, is is pretty bad, actually. It's um, you know you, you're there to support your team, not to put your own players down, and hopefully uh, hopefully the supporters uh, try and encourage him uh, instead of putting him down. But we need to get his body right and see what he can do because we definitely need uh, those small crumbing forwards. And if he can translate that SA in a fill form, uh, which I agree with you completely, is fantastic and bring that to the to the AFL for four quarters, there, there's something there. And, and hopefully, fingers crossed, he can show us that next year. Yep, moving right along. Um, next player is Jack Homsch. Um His first year at the club, we recruited him from GWS as part of the, the deal that got us Jack, uh, Jakey Need as well. Um, he had a pretty slow start to the year. He, he missed a lot of uh, a lot of the pre-season with injury. He started in the SANFL, had a pretty slow start. He played his first game for the club in round 10 against Western Bulldogs. He had three or four really good games in a row uh, before having a, a bit of a shocker against Essendon in round 15. Then he got dropped and then he missed uh, pretty well the, the rest of the year with a cheek injury with a broken cheek. Um, Rick, how do, you, how do you see his development coming on? Uh, I thought he showed promise. I mean, he's still young, and uh, I would have—I'd like another two centimeters on him, to be honest. But uh, I think he—I think he showed a bit in the games that he played, and uh, you know, he—he uh, he hopefully will come in in the next couple of years and and be that uh, uh, defender that we're looking for. And I mean, really, it was good trading by Peter Roden, Port Adelaide last year. He, it didn't really cost us much to to get Jack into the into the our squad and. And uh, he was serviceable, and you know, his disposal was quite solid, and his uh, you know, his defensive play was okay. And you know, it's he's young, like I said, and hopefully next year it's onwards and upwards, and we get a bit more out of him. Yeah, I think he's going to be a bit of a weapon going forward. Um, I love his disposal. He's got such a long, beautiful kick. Um, he can take a mark. He can play as a as a close shutting down defender, or he can play as a rebounding defender. Um, I think he's got a massive future. I'm, I'm pretty sure the club see him as being part of the first 18 um, going forward next year. Um, Shilsey, how would you see his 2013? Well, my one criticism, of, or my main criticism of Ken Hinckley this year is he didn't play Jack Homsch more. I'm a huge fan of what Jack Homsch can bring to the side. I think those few games that Tom Jonas played early in the season against uh, Jeremy Cameron and Taylor Walker, where he shut them out, was sort of a blessing in disguise. It gave the coaching staff an idea that Jonas is maybe sort of better suited to those tall players. Because I think he's a lot better suited to the smaller players. And we're a better side if we have Jack Homsch in the side taking on tall and Jonas taking on small. I think Homsch has got that sort of ability to make spoils where he's got no right to make a spoil that Jonas also has. And it just makes it a lot harder for opposition players to score goals on us when we've got players with that sort of closing speed, stopping them from taking marks on the lead. He also learned a lesson in relation to messing with your man Tom Jonas, didn't he? And uh, I don't think he'd be running into uh, Tommy at training any time soon. Just protecting his spot, that's all right. It. Well, last player for this evening is Justin Hoskin, and we picked him up as a rookie list player 
Um, he's a small defender slash midfielder from Port Adelaide Magpies. He's someone that I really wanted on our rookie list for a couple of years. Um, he got the opportunity this year. Probably didn't take it all that well. Um, he had a reasonably consistent first half of the year. Uh, fell away quite dramatically uh, to end the season and ended up in the reserves. Played three games in the SANFL reserves. Um, Schultzy, what do you think about Justin Hoskin? Honestly, I've only seen him play probably two or three times, so I don't have any strong opinion either way. But I think if you're a 22-year-old or whatever he is, you can't even manage a full season with the AFL seniors, then you can't really complain when you get cut from an AFL list. So maybe someone like Sam Gray, who came second in the McGarry, if we're going to go down the Port Magpies path again, might be a better option for the rookie list than Justin Hoskin was. Yep, fair call, fair call. Rick, what do you think, mate? Yeah, I'm the. I'd, I'd have to agree completely with that. I, you know, there's um, at 22, you should be really uh, busting your way through the SANFL ranks and holding your place in your uh, in the senior side. And if you if you can't do that, it, it's going to be a, a stretch to hold a place on your uh, on the on the AFL list. But uh, I mean, look, he got a shot, and good luck to him. He's only a small percentage of players that uh, get a shot on an AFL list, even as a rookie. Yeah, I mean, I saw him as a bit of a disappointment. I, I mean, I know Ford Fairlane and a couple of others know that I've been really pushing for him to get a go um, for a couple of seasons now after he sort of broke onto the scene um, in 2011. Um, so, yeah, a bit disappointing that he wasn't able to take his chance. I thought he had a pretty good pre-season. And the games he showed um, earlier in the year showed that maybe he has improved with a, an AFL pre-season. Um, but he just didn't go on with it, really. And, and in the end, yeah, as, uh, as Schultz said, you, you can't really expect to get a second year if you end up in the SANFL reserves um, as a rookie list player. So we might leave it there for this evening. Um, thanks for coming on, Schultz. Great to chat to you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And Rick, an absolute pleasure as always. Yeah, cheers, Macca. No dramas. Did you have a good long weekend, by the way? I did, yeah. It was my birthday on Sunday, so I had a, I had a great one. It was fantastic. Oh, well done. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed my long weekend fishing. I thought it was very relaxing, but not long, long enough, unfortunately. That's it. Until next time, guys, go the power. Go the power. Go the power. See you guys. Because we're 29 minutes gone, and the breeze is going left to right. This oh, is one of the toughest kicks ever. And he's a long way out. He hits it. Oh, what a and he's kicked it, I think. Hodges kicks it. I don't believe it. Port Adelaide, you are miracle workers. That is unbelievable. What Sean Hodges has, has kicked it. Unbelievable. What a player. That is one of the most difficult shots for goal you could ever imagine. The breeze is going strongly from left to right. He's had to thread that through the eye of a needle.